Warning, this episode contains one small swear. Hello, and welcome to Tales from the Trunk, reading the stories that didn't make it. I'm Hilary B. Bismiax. On today's show, we have one of my oldest friends, the author Robin Duncan, who writes as R.K. Duncan. Robin Duncan, welcome to the show! Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so, before we get started, Robin, if you just want to tell us a couple quick things about yourself, like when did you start writing fantasy, or how long have you known me, because that's embarrassing. <laughs> okay, well, I've known you since, uh, as, to look at since about 1996, I want to say, and as a friend since about 1998. That sounds uh, about right. Ballpark. Um... I started. I probably started writing fantasy when I was quite young. I started writing it seriously when I took a high school creative writing class because it was the only thing I read, and I started writing it seriously again in the latter part of 2013 after I couldn't get a real job out of college and was like, okay, I'm gonna spend some energy on this writing thing, and uh, that's continued to now. Fantastic. So, Robin, you're going to be reading The Night School, that correct? Yeah, the first part of it. Excellent. And uh, just a couple quick things about this story. Uh, I want to know, for our, our listeners, why did you pick this story, and about when did you write it? I wrote it, I think, in uh, probably tw- in 2015, or... Well, I might have written it in, in early 2016. It's... Uh, it's one of my oldest trunked stories that isn't trunked only for reason of being real bad. Uh, so I thought it would be less embarrassing to read than some of the older stuff. And it's the first of several stories that I wrote in a universe I'll probably do something actually saleable in eventually. Fantastic. Well, we'll have you back on later to read one of the embarrassingly bad stories. That'll be a season two extra for if we get money for this. No, I banished them into the depths of my hard drive forever, where they can't hurt me. (laughs) Alright, so, reading from The Night School. Alright, The Night School. The plain black door opened off a busy street, filled with hawkers and men of business going to and fro. But when it shut, Lucio felt as though he had stepped into a tomb. The passageway was dark, damp stone, lit only by a few flickering candles. He shivered. For a moment he felt certain that something watched him from the dark. Then it was gone. He could not decide which was worse, the hidden eyes or the fear that he might be alone here. Perhaps he had not found the right door after all. He walked forward gingerly, But soon he came to a choosing of ways, both yawning dimly. He did not remember this from his other visit years ago. Almost he plucked up his courage to take the left-hand fork. They would think that way, a sinister meeting down the sinister way. Just as he was going to take the plunge, a boy spoke from behind him. "'Please follow me, signor. The guard-tongue awaits you.' The boy might as well have stepped out of the air. The boy was blond and slender, dressed in the same loose blacks that the pupils had worn before. His eyes were wide and pale, and did not blink. Lucio did not like to meet those night-school eyes. 
the boy led him back along the way he had come, through a door that Lucio could swear had only been a shadow on the wall when he passed it. Lucio had never been satisfied with explanations of how the night school hid beneath the city, a mansion buried between catacombs and crypts. He wondered again whether it was not truly elsewhere, a place not reachable save through its own doors, not placeable on any map. The boy led him through twisting candlelit passages, and then through another door of that black wood into a corridor of finely dressed stone with a soft carpet that made his footfalls as silent as the boy's. Even these finished halls were dim, leaving Lucio half-groping, making him jump at the flickering shadows. He must look a fool to the smug, silent youth. They passed an open door, and within, children, no older than eight years old, recited a nursery rhyme for their teacher. These young ones were less unnerving than his guide. Their eyes were not the cold, dead things that marked the night school's older pupils. At first the sound was pleasant and soothing. These children were sweeter and better spoken than his own. But when he could make out the words, an unpleasant tightness grew in Lucio's throat, and the rhyme echoed in his head long after they had passed out of earshot. Children should not sing such things, not in voices like his own children repeating nonsense learned from their nurses. Mercy is for morning, when dew is clean and bright. Cruelty is for evening, for silver-soft moonlight. Anger is for noontime, beneath the boiling sun. Murder is for midnight. A secret kind of fun. They took more turnings, and Lucio quickly lost all sense of direction and distance. He would be more lost here without his guide than in the midnight forests of Bithia across the strait. At long last, that dreadful rhyme still ringing in his ears, the boy brought him to a room that would have been pleasant if it had lamps or windows in place of the single candle. The man who sat there was dressed in the same black robe, with the school's symbol stitched to the breast in white, as the man that Lucio had met six years before. But in the darkness, Lucio could not tell if it was the same man. His voice was soft and silken, somehow unsettling. It made Lucio want to peer into the shadows behind him, searching for hidden watchers or blades. "'What a danger calls you through the door of God, Lucio Montoli?' That was just like the last time as well and as before, it made him wonder where the other doors might be, and what they were called. "'Fear for my life and wealth, signor. My partners blame me for a recent miscarriage of some eastern caravans, and look to my vaults for recompense. I fear they will kill me and leave my, wid my widow and my children beggars.' It was no more than truth. He would not dare to lie to a tongue of the night school. They had strange ways of knowing, all the stories said. Who could say that a man's secret thoughts were safe from their prying?' The tongue looked at him with wide, pale eyes, never blinking. The man's soft voice tightened Lucio's throat like a silken cord. Gold will buy guards for gold, and life as well. But the night's safety will not follow you and yours beyond the city walls. The school does not meddle in foreign matters. Lucio nodded. He, picked, he licked his lips and tried to swallow. His mouth felt parched and scratchy. He had heard that the school would do nothing beyond the walls. But that would be enough. Clara and Gianetti could beggar themselves on cutthroats before they would get past the night school's men. How much? Curse his stammer. No weakness. They would probably take him for more, seeing how much they had terrified him. One hundred grossi every week will buy your safety from thieves and blades, Signor Montoli. A fair sum, but not ruinous, not quickly. If things went as they should, he could afford it, for long enough, he hoped. He counted out the first payment from the heavy purse he had brought, sweating under the tongue's gaze. 
When he was done, the same silent youth appeared out of the shadows behind his chair to lead him out again, and left him outside the door, beneath the sun, buffeted by the raucous crowd. Still he could not help glancing at the shadows as he went home. He wished that he could see his own protectors, but he knew from before that the shadows would hide them from his own eyes as much as from his enemies. He shivered, and the cursed misfortune that drove him to hire such terrible creatures with their dead eyes and silent feet. Julia wished that she had been the guide today, and not the watcher. The fat merchant who came in the guard door shaking, was shaking like a jelly, and it would have been good sport to bait him, making sure not to blink when he looked at her, stealing small items from his dress and his pockets, and then replacing them so he would jump and start at the feathery feeling when her fingers passed. She only got to tell Tonio, though, and watch as he stepped out of the shadow door behind the jelly merchant. He didn't need to play games to scare the fat man. Tonio was thirteen, and his eyes were open. Julia was still only a clever finger for the night school, so she was almost never given duties where she could be seen. The master saved those for the open eyes, at least. And outside the school, for the right hands and the left. He left quickly enough, with a lighter purse. He must have paid the guard tongue for protection. She wondered if she would be sent as one of his guards. Not that she would do any guarding. Guard duty was whisper work, really, especially for the little ones like her. There would be a few right hands hiding in the shadows, and one left hand, if the mines thought it was dangerous enough, but mostly it would be children, soft feet and clever fingers like Julia, and open eyes like Tonio, sleeping in cellars and rafters, and posing as maids and boot-boys and every kind of servant, watching and listening to everything. They might notice some thief or hired blade sneaking about and tell the older ones, but they certainly would learn everything there was to know about the fat merchant's household and his business. He was weak now, or he wouldn't need the night school. People would pay a lot for a weak man's secrets, much more than the merchant could pay them for protection. She left the guard door soon after the jelly merchant left. No one else would come in by that door today. It was getting dark, and the market outside was quiet. The ones that came in the guard door didn't like that. They thought that light and noise would hide them, and maybe it did, from daytime eyes, but not from Julia. She could always pick them out the moment they came into view, and she knew there wouldn't be any more today. She slipped back down the secret way to the main corridors, checking carefully at every spy hole she knew about, and every one she guessed, to let the tiny hairs on her neck and arms feel for the pressure of watching eyes. She had been feeling eyes more often lately. The hands, and the trainers who hadn't been raised by the night school, were watching her a lot now. She thought they sent open eyes to follow her sometimes as well. She had caught three of them doing it, but they all swore it was only practice. That didn't make sense. Why would eyes bother practicing on a clever finger? They should already be better than her. She was twice as careful once she was in the main corridors. The candles were so bright. She let the shadows fold around her, moving in time with the flickering of the candle flames, just like the hands taught. No one saw her, or they would have stopped her. She was out of bounds, not at duty or lessons halfway between bells. But she was safe. Maybe they suspected, but no one had caught her yet. And she'd been doubly careful since she felt them watching her. If she were caught away from her post, it would be the cane at least, and maybe a fast as well. But breaking rules was the only way to keep up. The candles were placed a little closer together, just outside the Whisper Tongue's office. Outside... People wouldn't notice, but Julia could. There was no flow of shadow large enough to hide her. She opened her ears to hear feet crushing the wool of the carpet, and air flowing around a walker or a still watcher, but there was nothing. She stepped across the space, light-footed and silent. 
Here, at least, she was better than the older ones, better even than their hands. She was light enough to keep the carpet quiet. Just around the corner there was a storeroom, and, hidden behind a shelf, a little hatch too small for a grown person, into the hypocost. She took her trousers and shirt off quickly, leaving only her underthings. The linen would make a sliding noise against the metal of the hypocost. Carefully, she climbed inside, and then along the narrow tunnel, until she was close enough to listen through the vent of the whisper tongue's room. She kept her breathing slow and shallow, to hear and not be heard. If a weak man's secrets were worth so much, the whisper tongue's secrets must be worth more than diamonds. Uh, and that's the excerpt I have. It's about a third of the thing, I guess. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. There's a really great atmosphere in that. Uh, Thanks. It is definitely... I was listening to it, I was like, yeah, yeah, that's a Robin story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially an older story, which means it's um, atmosphere to the, like, <laughs> atmosphere at the expense of characterization, because I just love the place we are so much. I feel that so deeply in my soul. Like, the the stories are built around Trevento, which is, like, like Venice. Venice, but also a land trade hub, and one time it got conquered by Mongols. Fantastic. Yeah. So, um, when we were... Talking back and forth before we did this episode, you'd asked me my opinion of uh, like what you would, what I would want you to read for the episode, and you said that you had a couple of options, and one of them was this story, which you said you'd reached a point where you knew that you wanted to do something with the world, but didn't feel like you were in a place to do that at the time that you were writing these. Does that sort of capture it? Um, partly that, and partly uh, the thing I wanted to do wasn't short stories, which was all I was writing at the point I trunked these. And it's also not quite a novel, or not a... It's not a first novel. Right. Um, which is still the only kind I'm trying to write. I feel you. So, like, I want to do, like, a set of stories that are linked together by Julia or a similar character, someone who is training at the secret assassin school under the city, Mm -hmm. but that also have different characters in the outside world for, like, each story. I'm thinking about organizing them by season, by month, and having her be the through line. Oh, that's fun. Um, And I wrote a lot of stories, and all of them would need to be completely rewritten to be useful. Um, I wrote, like, five. That but makes sense. They're, like, they're not quite good enough. I got some personal rejections on some of them from nice markets, but... Yeah. yeah. So, um, I guess more generally, what is it... You know, it, it's never just one thing for every single story that ties them together, but, like, in general, what are the things that make you trunk a story? <sighs> really trunk so that I don't, like, send it out occasionally when I'm like, yeah, sure, I'll go for this semi-pro or this new anthology. It's mostly personal rejections that I agree with. The most recent story that I trunk, I only sent to two or three markets, and I got a rejection on it that was basically like, I understand what you're trying to do, and this is, and it's really hard, and... I would look at it again if you rewrote it completely so that it was good enough. And I looked at it, and I'm like, you're probably right. 
And part of the reason is that that story was one that was important for me to write, mm-hmm. um, but not necessarily important for me to sell. I have, I have a lot of other stories that maybe aren't quite good enough that are kind of limping along and I occasionally submit them. Mm-hmm. Um, like all my flash fiction, because I'm not good at flash fiction. I I will say canonically right here, and as somebody who has sold two pieces of flash fiction, who the hell knows how to write uh, flash fiction? Cat um, Rambo probably. Yeah, uh, Cassandra Caw, kind of. Oh yeah, undeniably. Absolutely. Uh, I would I would argue that she she knows how to write very short fiction. Um, and then another guest of the podcast, uh, Sarah Gailey, they did a novelette in the form of flash fiction chapters for mm. Fireside two years ago now? I don't know if you read that, The Fisher of Bones? I haven't read that one yet. It's on my list, but uh, I only recently got a Kindle, and I hate reading anything longer than literal flash on my laptop. So that makes sense. It's in the backlog of e-fiction I haven't gotten through. Well, for you specifically and listeners in general, I would recommend it. I uh, I would say it is a very Robin Duncan story. Cool. I will enjoy that. Um, Excellent. I I love Sarah's writing, um, and I especially like it when she is in my kind of like zone. Yeah, some they of her are... stuff is. Er, yeah, some of their stuff is not. You know, is great and not what I I usually go for. Um, so it's really it's I really appreciate when they veer into my wheelhouse, and I'm like, yes, fantastic. Yeah, it's we. I think we all have writers like that where it's like, yeah, I want to r- like everything you've written, but some of these things just don't quite do it for me. But I know that they could. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like I have that with almost every author I like to bits. Like mm-hmm. you know. Neil Neil Gaiman will always be one of my greatest inspirations, but also I can't read any of his young adult stuff because his experience of childhood was very different than my own, and it's it's <laughs> a big barrier to climb over. Yep, yeah, for sure. So, um, you know, think thinking about your writing process, like you said, you picked up writing seriously after college as I can't get a job so I may as well fill my time doing this thing that I like and try to make some money at it are there any things you wish you had known then that like with the wisdom of having been submitting actively for you know six or seven years now I mean the main one is like very idiosyncratic which is that I wish I had known earlier that I can only outline on paper Um, Mm. because I wrote a lot of bad stuff without really outlining it um, Mm -hmm. because I'm not actually a discovery writer Um, I didn't actually figure out how to do outlines until partway through my first completed novel Flying to Your Wedding Listeners, we will not get into the false dichotomy of pantsers versus outliners on this show that is, I think, a topic for somebody else's podcast but yeah, it turns I will agree out with you. I like outlines, but I couldn't do them typing. It didn't happen. That makes sense. Yeah, more broadly, it's hard to put it into words. Like you, you learn at earlier and earlier stages to look at a project and be like, 
do I actually have all the pieces I need to make a coherent thing out of this? Yeah, for sure. There are a lot of stories I wrote in that early period that would never have gotten past a paragraph in my big story idea document now. Mm-hmm. But then I had to write, you know, five, ten pages to be like, this actually doesn't get anywhere. Right. So I, wa- I wanted to circle back to something you'd said about the story that you trunked recently that you had gotten, you know, a really nice personal rejection saying, basically, I like this thing, but it would need to be 100% rewritten. Are there times when you get a personal rejection where you agree with it and you're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to go fix this thing? Yes. It's... <sighs> It's honestly a bit rare at this Mm -hmm. point because the market that most reliably gave me those detailed personal rejections has become the market that most reliably purchases or gives me an R&R on my submissions. Oh, to have those problems. Yeah. So it doesn't happen as much anymore because usually I was collating, like, a good FNSF rejection. Mm Mm-hmm and somewhere else with my Beneath Cease the Skies rejection, which is always personal because they're great. Um, right. And I am more often selling those to Beneath Ceaseless Skies now. Fair enough. Scott's a great dude, and he made me have to report writing income on my taxes this year. Fantastic. Yeah, new You experience. heard it here first, folks. Find Robin's writing on Beneath Ceaseless Skies. Yeah, there's... Also elsewhere. Uh, yeah, there's three more pieces coming, I think, this year, 2019. He Look, he, he bought them and has published out of order. And so I, I got some stuff coming up, I think. Great. <laughs> well, uh, are there any other words of wisdom that you have for writers who are starting out who are, you know... Not to say that we aren't both early career writers, because definitely... You know, you've got, what, eight or nine published sales at this point? Oh, God, hang on. Let me look at my website. (laughs) (laughs) They're all down there. Uh, I I can't remember these things. They're outsourced. We'll say that between the two of us, we have ten stories published. That sounds about right. I think I I am about... I I think that makes correctly. But that would still qualify us as... Early career. Oh, very much. As opposed to just starting out writers. So, So, any words of wisdom you have for the just starting out writer? Absolutely. I have given this advice in my writing group and to my early career mentees via the CIFWA program that I tried out, and it's this Decide what you want out of your writing process. Make it something other than money. Your writing process can't produce that. But decide what kind of prose, in what kind of amount, um, in what kind of time frame you need from your writing process, and then change your process until it produces what you want. Everyone's writing process is different. Just keep trying stuff until you find one that outputs something you're happy with. That's really profound advice, and I wish I had had that, God, ten years ago when I started submitting things. More than ten years ago. A dozen years ago. Readers, listeners, I have been doing this for a dozen years now. And that is startling to me. I've technically been submitting for, like, nine years. 
but only by the grace of one paper sub to fantasy and science fiction. Yeah, I have... I uh, People who follow me on Twitter will know that I occasionally do deep dives into my own submissions, and I have what I call the lost years, where I know that I was submitting things, but I wasn't writing it down anywhere. Yeah. So I probably have, like, six or seven lost submissions in between my earliest recorded submission on the submissions grinder and where I actually started recording things actively. I wrote a very bad novella uh, between high school and college, and I sent it to fantasy and science fiction in a manila envelope. Yes, I wrote some really... Um, I wrote some werewolf urban fantasy and sent it repeatedly. The same story, because I didn't have anyone telling me how you sure are supposed to do things yeah. to fantasy and science fiction. Neato. Yeah, no, I, but like, I, I did that one paper sub and then I didn't do anything until after college. I was like, well, alright, you know, out yeah. of this game. And I mean, it, it, it's changed a lot in the last decade. You know, it used to be that e-subs were the outlier, and now paper subs only are definitely the outlier. I mean, yeah. Except paper subs is rapidly becoming extremely surprising. Yes. Uh, Prints on paper is becoming surprising, to that, for that matter. Unless it's anthologies. Yeah, though hopefully we can see a reversal of that, because Fireside Quarterly is amazing. Oh my god, yes. Listeners... Consider subscribing to Fireside Quarterly. It's gorgeous. Listeners, definitely, before you throw money at this podcast, if I have any sort of sponsorship <laughs> links edited in in post later, before you do that, subside, subscribe to Fireside Quarterly, because they're better than this. Oh yeah, it's, it's rad. Yeah. Um, there, are, there are three issues out so far as of this recording, which is happening at the beginning of February. I don't know when this episode is going to air yet. And all three of them are just outstanding. There are full-size, full-color illustrations for all the stories. They there are have... fold-outs. Yes, there are fold-outs. Bringing it back to Sarah Gailey again, because they're fantastic. Uh, the the formatting of their short story Step in Fireside is just blew me away. And that story blew me away when I read it online and was clicking back and forth between the annotations. I, st- I haven't read the print version yet. You gotta go and look at the print yeah, version. Yeah, everybody I gotta, go and, I gotta read go and the, look at the print the, version. The other different versions. <laughs> yeah, so we we fervently hope that there become more print magazines, and not just pulp magazines, but, like, full productions, because Fireside is doing something amazing here, and more people should be so lucky as to be able to follow in their footsteps. So, that looks like we're about running out of time, I say, not really knowing how podcasts work yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but before we go, Robin, is there anything that you'd like to promo during the show? Uh, okay, one old thing, one new thing. Um, new thing is coming out October 2019. I'll be appearing with many other fine authors in the A Punk Rock Future anthology. Fantastic. And who edits that? Uh, 
Steve Zenon? I don't know how to pronounce his last name. I've only seen it in print. It starts with a Z-S, um, so I'm guessing. He's, he's a real nice guy. He bought my story. Um, and that's going to be a really cool anthology. Coming out in October, don't know when pre-orders go up. Fantastic. We will put a link in the show notes if there are pre-orders up at the time that this airs. And an older thing, I had a story come out in Pseudopod. Uh, at the beginning of November, the last of their Halloween stories in 2018, that I think is really cool. It's my favorite thing I've written that's been published so far. It also has art that someone drew. There's a person who is going through the Pseudopod back catalog, drawing art of it. Fantastic. As of this recording, I have not yet purchased the original. As of the airing of this episode, I will almost certainly have purchased and framed the original. So... Take a look at that. It is called Farewell Concert at the World's End. Fantastic. And listeners, Pseudopod, in case you don't know, is an audio magazine, so if you like listening to our voices, consider listening to the voices of their fine narrators reading Robin's words. Yes, the uh, narration quality, audio production quality, and music all better than any of this. They're amazing. The, the entire Escape Artist Network, I will vouch for. I have never heard a bad production out of them. Uh, they have four shows, including Pseudopod. Uh, that is Pseudopod, uh, Cast of Wonders, where you also have a story out? Yes, uh, yes. My second publication ever was in one of their very short collections, so I'm one of three stories on that episode. Fantastic. And Escape Pod and Podcastle are their other two. Yeah. Um, and I believe Podcastle published the reprint of one of your anthology mates from No Shit There I Was. Yeah, uh, I, I think you're right. Um, and that was narrated by a good friend of mine. Yeah. Yeah, oh, Podcastle's great. I will get a story in there someday. Escape Pod's going to be real hard, though, because they like happy stuff, and my sci-fi is all real, real down. <laughs> Well, you heard it here, folks. You heard it here first, folks. Uh, Robin Duncan can be found online on Twitter at RKDuncanAuthor, and his website is rkduncan-author.com. So do yourself a favor. If you like what you heard here, check out the stuff that's over there because it is better quality. Fair enough. Uh, I'd also like to say real quick that if you go to my website, you'll also see some really cool art that my wonderful fiance Mandy drew um, and has been kind enough to associate with my writing. Excellent. Well, I should go and check that out myself. All right. Robin Duncan, thank you so much for being on the show. It's been a pleasure having you, and we hope to get you back to embarrass you sometime next season. I made a sad face, listeners. He did it. Excellent sad face. Join us again next month on June 21st when we will have none other than the amazing, wonderful, talented, kind Kate Leckler. Tales from the Trunk is mixed and produced in beautiful Oakland, California. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com trunkcast. Patrons of the show get access to show outtakes and other content that can't be found anywhere else. You can find the show on Twitter at TrunkCast, and I tweet at HBBisniacs. If you like the show, consider taking a moment to rate and review us on your preferred podcast platform. And remember, don't self-reject.